Hello and welcome to Dowdy, the podcast where me, Mariana Feijó, talk to my guests about the concept of bravery, or braveness, even just the moments where folks have been slightly out of their comfort zones. This week I was brave because I let a stranger talk to me in the canal. I'm the kind of person that when I'm walking on the street, I'm not necessarily friendly. But I am that person as a protective measure. <laughs> you know, you grow up having attention from people who catcall you and say really odd things to you. So you start being less friendly. My experience growing up in Portugal and like going out at night, dancing and stuff like that. And even just like sitting in a cafe by myself is a little different than the one I, I have had throughout the whole time I've lived in the UK. And it's that thing where in Portugal, if a guy comes to talk to you and you talk back and you are friendly, they assume, and this may have changed because I've been living in the UK almost for the past decade. So things hopefully have changed. But if you do reply to someone, to a guy who talks to you, he assumes you are in interested in more than a chat. He assumes that he's entitled to more than a chat. So my stance on that is to not be friendly, right? So that's what I, I have done since I was very young. I don't know you, I won't talk to you. The thing is, I was walking in a canal. I went to walk with a friend because we live in opposite sides of the canal. We meet midway through, we walk a little bit together and then we each go back to where we came from. Our house is in London. <laughs> Even though we're both immigrants, we don't go back to our home countries. So the little bit of time I walked by myself, a guy started talking to me and I was wearing my earphones and like the canal can be scary at times. It was still daytime, so fine. But it's a place where it's hard to run away from because <laughs> it doesn't always have an exit. And also I'm injured, so I can't run still. But this guy started talking to me. I was wearing my earphones, so I didn't understand what he was saying. I couldn't hear, but I thought he was asking for a direction. So I took my earphones off. And it was that sort of thing where he just like asked me if he could chat to me. And walk with me for a little bit because I look like someone he wanted to chat to. Something like that. I don't know. It wasn't like a horrible. I thought, okay, cool. You can walk with me and chat. Someone in my life tells me this a lot of times that the difference between a creep and someone who's not a creep is whether you're interested in them as well. <laughs> and this was like a nice looking person. But visuals are not the only thing that interest me right so yeah sure walk with me let's talk and he talked i know all about his life <laughs> and there was a lot of it and a lot of slightly contradictory bits of it slightly outlandish bits of it and then add-ons <laughs> that kept coming maybe all of it was true who knows he surely led a very interesting life where two commas happened also just like dropped in there was the information that he, after his coma, he couldn't get a boner for nine months, but lucky me, it's back. <laughs> so the conversation had like nice moments. He was from Kenya. He was telling me about Kenya, about Mombasa. He was also 
in East London because of his plug, which is new vocab for me. It's the person who sells you the weed. He has a direct debit to the plug for his weed. All, all many details, including uh, his uh, Kenyan prince, because his grandfather was the king of his tribe. Which is cool, cool, cool. But still, I'm not taking you home with me, which was his objective. And I feel like a little in two minds about it, because coming from the fact that I, I did think he was attractive, I am horny, and I have brought people home with me that I have just met on a night out. So why wouldn't I do that? And yeah, that's that thing that I think that he said a lot of untruths. But also the fact that I just met him in a canal, and that's not the usual venue where he meet people. <laughs> but that's dumb, because he's as much as a stranger as someone I would meet in a pub. And also, there's this tiny thing called COVID. And yeah, I decided not to go there. So this story is both a story of bravery, because I let someone talk to me, and a story of fear, because I didn't bring them home with me. Living and learning, guys. This episode starts as Dowry always starts, with my guest, Hannah Ayub, introducing yourself. I'm Hannah Ayub. I am a science communicator and an illustrator. I do lots of different things sort of under that umbrella. So things like speaking, training, event producing. I'm trying to think, what else, what else shall I tell you about myself? Um, I guess art is sort of a big part of my life even outside of work as well you do sell like little things on yes Etsy, yeah like. i do so i have a stickers badges postcards prints that sort of thing i i'm always very impressed when people do like a lot of things because it's always so so cool i think for both the people that can enjoy the things you you put out but also maybe for yourself because you get to to do different things during yes your I day. think a big part of going freelance for me is that I like to have quite a lot of variety um, and I think sort of before I went freelance I was sort of trying to do a full-time job and also starting to do bits of comedy and trying to start selling my art and I was like this is all a little bit too much <laughs> but no I, I, I absolutely love that you know no two days are the same for me yeah I think that's good and hopefully yeah I don't know I feel like the same for me but the last year felt like very alike all the day so hopefully we all we'll also get to to have yes yeah that would be nice more. like I do feel like I feel like within a sort of week at the moment it'll all feel different but when I look back on the last few weeks I'm like no no defining features all blurred into one in my head <laughs> I think my memory is very location-based, so it doesn't really work anymore. <laughs> uh, how would you define bravery? Oof, I knew this was coming, and I, I, I had to look up a definition because I sort of went round in circles. I, I, I feel like my personal definition is confronting your inner demons, sort of your own sort of fears and insecurities. Um, the sort of broader definition I looked up was to do with facing danger, fear or difficulty with mental or moral strength, which feels huge. <laughs> yeah. But also very general in a way, because everything is in there. Mm, yeah. I don't know if they, if they mean in that definition that you have to be doing all yeah. of those things yeah. at or once, just one or the other and, ah. I mean I feel like you know yeah. a danger there might be some sort of 
broad i guess objective definitions of but fear and difficulty it's like how long is a piece of string like i feel like it'll be different for every individual out there which i get then ties in with my own definition which is very much about your internal sort of fears and things yeah it's interesting to 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 try have you thought about the concept of bravery before have you come up with your own definition of bravery before really i think like I often find people calling me brave, but I've sort of always laughed it off a bit or, you know, found it a bit strange, Um, especially because, for example, people might call me brave because I do comedy. And I think, you know, the very first gig I did probably took quite a bit of bravery, but almost I feel like every gig from that point on, like, yes, I'd be nervous, but I don't think I'd say I was brave. Yeah, yeah, and other things like people people will call you brave for dealing with health issues, and it's like I don't have a choice really on that front. <laughs> you know, I sort of just have to keep going. Yeah, that that has come up a few times because yeah, that there are there are a lot of things that you can't really yeah, avoid, yeah. so you just have to get on with yeah. it in um, some way you know yeah. you do sometimes feel like turning around and be like what exactly is the alternative here not getting out of bed in the morning <laughs> like you know. so have you thought about moments in your life in which you have been brave i have so i mean we've already talked a little bit about so i think going freelance was a very very sort of brave decision for me although when i think back to that i was also thinking about how our concept of bravery changes over time So I think a lot of the time these days, because I really enjoy freelancing, I very much feel like it's the right thing for me. And if anything, I'm a bit scared of the prospect of ever having to go back to a sort of proper job. But I think, you know, if I actually look back to the the time then and how I felt, you know, it did feel like a very brave decision. You know, I was going into sort of the unknown, doing something that I'd never done before. Um, You know, there was a very real prospect of failure um that it might not work um and also of course all the the sort of side things that go with that like you know what what are people going to think of me if it doesn't work out and you know are people thinking I'm being really stupid and reckless and all of those layers of you know sort of Mm -hmm. doubts and insecurities going on around it how did your life look before that, your professional life because that's what you're talking about how did it look Um, before so before I mean at the point that I went, sort of handed in my notice and went freelance, I'd been working um, for a festival, for about, for a science festival for about two and a half years. And I think in total, I'd been sort of in full-time jobs um, for about, must be about seven years at that point, maybe seven and a half. What was the impulse that made you take the plunge and go freelance? Um, so I always, there's, there was sort of a pull and a push. So I think... The pull was that I I really loved my work, so it was producing sort of science communication events, but I also was starting to do more um, science comedy and more other sort of speaking and performance, and a lot of that was outside of my job. And I was also starting to do a lot more drawing and starting to turn that into an income stream. And it was all just getting a little bit too much, and I felt like I'd hit the point where... I either needed to sort of cool it on the, you know, side hustling and the hobbies and focus a bit more on sort of job and looking after myself, or I needed to think about, you know, actually taking that plunge and going freelance. And then I think the push was that I 
as much as I was enjoying my job, I wasn't really enjoying where I was living. Um, it was quite a small town. I felt like I'd strugg- struggled to make friends. I was sort of popping back to London at least once every two weeks um, to see friends and family. And it was all getting, you know, a little bit too much on that front. And I was like, I really yeah. like to be back in London. And yeah, so that's that's where I was, and that's sort of yeah, yeah, what pushed me into it. So when you when you did take the plunge, mm. you already had some some fillers that might, maybe you'd be okay yes. because you were already having like a little bit of extra income. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I should I've always, I always try to be honest about sort of the ins and outs of freelancing. You know, I had some potential income streams already. I moved back in with my parents, um, and then the the sort of you know final sort of push that um indicated it was probably a good idea was that when I handed in my notice to my employer they turned around and went would you consider freelancing for us so you know it was despite being a very scary process I think I was in a very good place compared to you know the way a lot of others um have to deal with going freelance what's the thing that scares you about the prospect of maybe one day going back to not being a freelancer oh god um so many different things i think if we if i really boil it down like losing control is which i i'm starting to realize it's a bit of a personal thing i like being in control of my life i like being in control of my environment um and you know in one sense, I know that's that's just, you know, one of my hang-ups. But in another sense, it is I find that having control of my schedule, my environment, when I work, has been amazing for my mental and physical health. You know, just and it's very simple things like, you know, feeling a bit run down one evening and choosing not to set an alarm the next morning. And mm. you know, or getting to three o'clock in the afternoon realizing I'm not doing anything productive and going and sitting in the garden and reading and those are things that overall probably make me far more productive than if I wasn't doing them but when you know with some exceptions when you're working in an office you can't do that you know you have to be yeah you know I've been lucky I've worked in places that have been fairly flexible but you're still expected to be in by like 10 you know you can't just not set an alarm and see when you wake yeah. up um <laughs> And, you, you know, you can't just decide to go for a walk at 11 whilst you think about the thing that you're working on. <laughs> and then I think the other thing is the variety, um, being able to do lots of different things. I think there there are few sort of jobs, full-time employment, where you get as much variety as I do. Yeah. You said something, and like I'm thinking about my own experience as a freelancer. I sometimes feel like people who aren't freelancers and who are looking at me from the outside mm. sometimes think I have a lot of free time because I do at 3 p.m. decide to go for a walk because I'm not producing mm. at that moment. So it does look like you maybe have a lot of time because yeah. you just decide yeah. to do things. But that's not true, no. it, is it? No, not at all true. And I think until someone goes freelance, they don't really realise how much time is wasted in an office environment or in, you know, even in a remote-based sort of full-time job. Um, although saying that, I think people who are working from home are starting to notice this a bit more. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think back to being in an office. I'm not saying all of this is bad. It's just what it was. But, you know, you would sometimes start chatting to the colleagues around you and lose an hour. You know, you'd sometimes just get distracted by 
the four different phone calls going on around you and lose time. You know, you'd walk to the toilet, bump into five people on the way, go to the kitchen to make a drink and have another half hour conversation, you know. And I mean, some of those conversations would be about work, but it still would all sort of add up. Um, And then, of course, when added to that fact that I I refuse to believe that there is anyone who's ever worked in an office who hasn't had that afternoon where they just sit there watching the clock because their brain just has turned to mush and they're not going to do anything productive, but they can't leave. (laughs) You know, I think a lot of freelancers probably work more hours and get more done when they're in complete control of their own schedules and there's another thing which you also said which is you can go for a walk at 11 Mm. and think about the work you're doing Mm. which you wouldn't necessarily be able to do in an office you'll just probably be sitting down on your at your desk thinking obsessively Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and there's something to be said about going out and thinking yeah. in a different environment yeah, definitely. that maybe makes you more productive and more even creative. Yeah. No, I definitely think so. I mean, even just, just last week, I had an afternoon where I was doing a load of reading for a project. And in between, I was um, basically sorting out my laundry. Like, you know, I had two loads of laundry to do. So I was sort of doing an hour of reading, running upstairs, put it, like hanging up um, some washing, going down, doing a bit more reading. And but I found that as I was, you know, just hanging clothes up, that the cogs were whirring in my head and I was thinking through, okay, how am I going to structure this and what, you know, points am I going to pull out whilst I'm talking about this topic? And, you know, whereas sometimes I think when you're faced with, you know, that blank page, whether it's on a screen or a piece of paper, and you're just sat at a desk, that's when your brain just freezes because like, I have to come up with ideas. I have to come up with a structure. Um and being able to step away can just be so beneficial. And I think that carries over to having different types of work as well. I think, yeah. you know, I I find that I'm most productive if I, you know, I generally split it so that my mornings tend to be sort of heavier work and my afternoons tend to be illustration or, you know, sort of slightly boring admin. And that works quite well for me as a balance. Mm-hmm. And there's another thing that, uh, were you able... Because you, you came into freelancing with a few projects mm-hmm. and a few jobs. Were you able to then take that time, that extra time, that's not actual time, but it's uh, mind uh, rest mm. time to create new projects and be yes more creative in that side of things? Yeah, definitely. I think it's um, one of the sort of, I guess, defining features for me of freelancing is I've always had these sort of passion projects that can grow or shrink, you know, depending on how much time I have around other paid work. So um, that I have an Etsy shop where I sell merch and that I'd like that to be more consistent, but also it sort of works for me that when I have time, I release more products, you know, when mm-hmm. things are busier, or I just concentrate on, you know, shipping out orders and things. Um, similarly, I, I co-host a podcast, um, Why Aren't You a Doctor Yet? And that, you know, it's mostly unpaid. So again, when when we're all a bit freer, we work more on it. When, you know, we're busier, it sort of rests for a bit. And th- there's all, I mean... I guess it's also very sort of connected to the sector I'm in, like science communication. There's mm-hmm. there's always things going on. And, you know, I, I I could definitely get involved in more creative projects than I'll ever have time for. So, yeah, I've never, ever been bored or, um, you know, not had enough to do since going freelance. 
a slight tangent to like the theme of bravery, yeah. but still related to work. How did you start your working in science communication? Ooh, so I um, so I did a science degree and then I added a year of business studies onto it because I sort of already knew that I wanted to work with science but not in science and then sort of through that business studies degree I ended up um, getting a job at a charity um, where I was working on a clinical trial um, and it was sort of very much the sort of project management and admin side of things um, but there was also various elements of science communication in it although I wouldn't have called it that at the time mm-hmm. you know it was talking to doctors scientists patients um, supporting patients who were enrolling on the trial so quite often discussing the research and the science with them and then because I enjoyed that side of things so much um it was quite a small charity there were five of us so it meant that i'd get roped into doing other things so i wrote more blog posts i did school assemblies i you know run stands at events um and then i can't i think i like got on twitter at some point during all this and then sort of just through that discovered science communication was a thing um and so I think when I when I you know started to feel a bit restless um, after about two years at that charity, I started looking for science communication jobs um, and ended up working um, in a science communication job where I worked on lots of different projects and from then on have sort of been properly I guess within science communication. Mm-hmm. I did ask this, that question because I have a degree in science, a master's in science actually, and I've tried to go into science communication mm. and then got derailed and <laughs> went, to, went to event production that has nothing to do with science. But yeah. I think that it, so. that's easy to happen, though, because you can learn a lot of event production skills within sort of science communication and then you yeah. find you've got a lot of transferable skills to use elsewhere as well. Yeah. yeah. You also talked about your podcast, which which is called Why Aren't You a Doctor mm-hmm. Yet? I have never listened, but I imagine that you're asking people why they did, haven't finished their PhD yet. No, that's not no. actually true. <laughs> um, so the reason for the title is actually, um, so podcast is hosted by me um, and three guys and three of us are sort of broadly South Asian um, and then Alex is um, ah. Alex's family from Ghana and so we it's very much about this idea that in the communities we all grew up in you basically become a doctor engineer or lawyer you know and that's it um, and so it's sort of a running joke on that and even though Alex and Oz, one of the other hosts, both now have PhDs. We still joke that, oh no, they're not the right sort of doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't consider that that uh, framing of it. But yeah, I was too, thinking too much about the science side of it and how, yeah, getting a PhD, not getting a PhD is very common. I, mean, I think it, I think it works up. on multiple levels, especially since yeah. when we started the podcast, half the hosts were completing their PhD. <laughs> On the other side of the scale, were there moments in your life in which you haven't done something for lack of bravery or fear? It's a difficult one because this this relates to what I was saying about how, you know, our perceptions change over time. And Mm -hmm. I think sort of when I was a kid and then through to when I was sort of a teenager, even into sort of my early 20s, I look back and think I was quite I was very scared. I was wasn't brave. Um, I tend to be very nervous of you know, socializing, speaking to groups, you know, public speaking. Um, and, you know, a lot of like a lot of my say cousins, other family members or friends who knew me from school, they, 
you know, they'll, they'll often describe me as shy and introverted and um, all these words that people who know me now would probably be like, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> but it's hard because on one level, I want to look back and say that teenage me wasn't brave um, and that, you know, she was a bit of a scaredy cat. But also I know that for me at that time, I probably was doing things that felt brave. You know, I was giving the odd talk you know I think everything I did say at university that involves standing in front of an audience was brave for me at the time but now I'm like well why did you make such a big fuss out of it um <laughs> and you know same with things like socializing and making friends like I would I now find it you know a lot easier I wouldn't say easy <laughs> I think it's always a bit tricky to make friends as an adult but, you know, when it comes to, say, networking, meeting people through work, I find that fairly easy. I love doing it. I enjoy it. Whereas, you know, if you'd mentioned networking to me when I was 20, 21, I would have wanted to go hide in a corner. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I don't know. I feel like it might be unfair to call that person not brave. Not brave. Because I think that relates to sort of my definition as well. Like we're sort of, you know, fighting against our own inner demons. And I think my inner mm. demons have changed a lot over time. Yeah. yeah, I do relate to you in probably people who knew me back when I was a teenager or younger will uh, say that I, I'm very, I was very shy mm. and introverted. And now when I do say that to people, because I still think I am a shy and introverted person. And uh, unlike you, I still hate networking. <laughs> and like, yeah, speaking to people in groups, it's is really hard. So yeah, that that first uh, thing is really hard for mm. me but one-on-one -on -one, I think I like I can hold the conversation mm. and I'm friendly and so people wouldn't say I was shy or introverted what did cha change in you to make you less scared about that bit <laughs> I think even though I think I was still quite shy and nervous in some ways at university I think university was a big change for me I think it was being in a different environment but also I'd always been you know the nerd or the geek at school and that you know it was very much a box that I was put in you know I sometimes get teased about and also I think it when I look back and think about it I think when you're labeled as the clever kid um, and I'm not making out this is some sort of like you know major sort of problem but it does what happens is you often find that even your friends, if you say something stupid, they pick up on it immediately because you're meant to be clever. So how dare you say something, you know, stupid. And if you say something that is perceived as being clever, you also, you know, you're the know-it-all. You're, you know, being yeah. a snob or whatever. And it just makes sort of, so it can make sort of navigating that in high school really difficult. You know, I just, I don't want to open my mouth anymore, you know. And when I got to university, that wasn't a case. I felt like I could just be myself. Um, and, it, you know, that I felt like we were all sort of muddling through together at university. I went to quite a good uni, which meant that I was sort of surrounded by people who were suddenly realising that they weren't the top of their class anymore. And it was quite freeing in some ways. Mm -hmm. And then, so alongside that, sort of getting involved in sort of extracurricular activities um, and things, I just, I think I started to like myself more. And that then meant that I was braver um, when it came to socialising and interacting mm -hmm. with others. And I think it was also, you know, tied, I mean, 
it's really interesting. I think when you start to like yourself more in some ways, it becomes easier to like yourself in other ways. So I think I, f- I started to feel more confident about my body. I wasn't hiding it as much. I was starting to experiment with the clothes that I liked wearing. And that made me more, you know, it's this sort of cycle of that would then make me more confident in my own skin yeah. and so on and so on. Um, and, I, you know, I feel like that's still a journey I'm on. I don't feel like it's all sorted yet, um, but it's definitely got easier over time. Yeah, you did like say something that I think made me have um, a breakthrough that I haven't had with like, I don't know, many sessions of therapy, <laughs> which is that idea of like being the clever kid and not being able to say stupid, dumb things because people will mock you because you're the clever kid. And then also not not saying the clever things because people, ah, you're, yeah, I think that's maybe why <laughs> I'm the way I am and I'm still really <laughs> worried about saying the stupid thing and saying the like the thing that people will oh she's trying to teach me stuff yeah, yeah. again um, <sighs> and I think it also ties into this thing like you know but the concept of sort of nerding out about something and how that used to I don't know it felt like it was something that was very much suppressed when you were a teenager that you didn't want mm. to get excited about things and I, I guess yeah as I've got older I just like no, I'm going to get excited about things. I'm going to read a book about, I don't know, I mean, recently it's been colour, sleep, I think fat positivity. And I just like the moment I start reading, I get into it. I get really excited. I want to tell everyone. And I feel like I'm quite lucky these days that I do have a social circle that I can, you know, yeah, just babble at quite a bit. Yeah. You do something that I find, I don't know how frequently you do it, the clothes thing. The week, this week, every day we have, we'll dress in yes. a certain thing. Yeah, we haven't done it in a while because I've sort of been um, recovering from COVID. But yes, so me and a friend, Sarah Cosgriff, um, I mean, we've always been very big on sort of expressing ourselves through our clothes and talking about it and things. And during um, sort of at the beginning of lockdown, I think because we both get so much enjoyment from, you know, choosing our outfits, choosing our accessories, and we were sort of both stagnating a bit because it's like we'd stopped um, sort of wearing the things that we liked wearing because we weren't leaving the house and then we both sort of said, well, why are we doing this? Like, if we if we actually mostly dress the way we dress for ourselves, why have we stopped? And so almost to give ourselves a kick up the bum, we started the hashtags of hashtag nerdy lockdown looks and um, started posting like what our outfits each day. And then we started sort of challenging others as well. So I think, you know, the first week that we did was rainbow theme. So each day, you know, there was a different colour prompt. We did another one where it was themed around sort of habitats. So like... In, wear an outfit inspired by the desert wear an outfit you know inspired by the arctic um and then we did it like a week for christmas as well and it's been it's been really nice uh, actually to see everyone's outfits despite the fact we're not seeing each other in person because i also relate to the thing you said about being more confident in yourself mm-hmm. and in your body and being able to experiment more with your clothing yeah. and maybe being a little sillier with what you dress yeah. maybe a little bit more colorful mm-hmm. with what you dress yeah, that's like a big thing for me as well that I and now I've sometimes I feel like I've just someone throw through the rainbow at me and okay, cool. Maybe I should get ba- go back home and change something because uh, this is too much. I never do. No, I'm I'm very very pro all the colors, all the patterns, like just make yourself happy. I used to experiment a lot with my shoes mm. because for a period of time I couldn't find like fun clothes in my size. 
I think it was normal. I think there's more fun clothes now mm. in like bigger sizes than there were when I was growing up. So I just like have colorful shoes and weirdly shaped shoes. <laughs> like I have ones that look like paws. Uh, and yeah, uh, and I, I remember kids. I was probably, yeah, I was still a teenager. I remember being mocked by, for my shoes and just because they were weird. <laughs> I think, but I'm very proud of that moment. So, yeah, I'm, I'm the one who was brave enough to wear weird shoes. <laughs> I think weird shoes are excellent. Um, I feel like I probably went through a similar thing, but with, like, jewellery, because <laughs> when I wasn't as confident about my body, I think even though I probably could have got more colourful patterned clothes in my size I would prefer to just you know wear all black but then I would wear quite bold jewellery and I used to make a lot of my own jewellery when I was Mm -hmm. younger as well so I think it's nice that you can have that sort of one form of expression even if you haven't quite discovered the full range yet yeah I also would experiment with jewellery and make my own jewellery which is something I haven't done in so long I used to sell stuff in markets and now yeah (laughs) yeah yeah you should do that Uh, again I think that's why why I like following you on Twitter as much because we have so many things in common. <laughs> Do you have anything coming up in your future for which you will have to be brave? Ooh, um, so I feel <laughs> at some point I need to get back on like some on, an online dating app or site, mm. and that is like currently something that I very much am like taking one step at a time because it really the thought really scares me. I did not enjoy the experience last time <laughs> that I was um, on an app, so I've been. I guess I've already started, like, you know, I've downloaded the app that I want to use. I've selected, and then, like, three weeks later, I, like, sat down and picked some photos. (laughs) And probably in a few weeks, I'll actually, like, fill out my profile. Um, But I think Baby Steps is okay. (laughs) What was so bad about your experience in the past? I think it's multiple levels. I mean, there was just the worst of it, which would be, you know, like, the... Like guys just sending like messages out of the blue that would be quite often like borderline racist. Like other times, just you know inappropriate, and mm. just, you know just the whole gamut of trying to like navigate this quite sort of sometimes artificial situation. Um, being ghosted, you know, going on dates that did not go very, like very well. Basically, seeing some of the worst of human behaviour. <laughs> Um, like I, there, was some, there was a guy that I went like, I think it was on the second date I don't even know how we got to the second date but on the second date it felt like he was playing um, like I don't know bigotry bingo or something I was like in my head going right ableism tick oh okay we've got like you know the misogyny coming out tick right okay we're, we're, we're on to the racism tick and I was just like how am I on a date with this person um and I don't yeah I just I think I lasted about two months and was about to just delete everything and like at least have like a break for a while and then got a message from a person I ended up dating for over a year mm-hmm. uh, but who's now my ex but yeah it's weird even though it did eventually leave to lead to a relationship the whole experience did yeah I was just a bit like why am I doing this to myself yeah <laughs> I asked, but I I know the exact experience and I also hate it. And the only reason I keep doing it is because I met one of my favorite people in it. And now 
if it happens once, it can ma- well, happen again. This is the thing, right? Like now, I feel like I've got more of an impetus because I'm like, well, I did quite enjoy being in a relationship, and I like would like to have the possibility of another one in the future. Uh, I have been on online dating apps throughout this mm. year, and I've been like on a couple of dates during in between lockdowns, mm. but it's like. Now it's just torture because you just you can't even meet people, so you're just like I don't know doing what on on the apps. <laughs> I, I feel, but I persevere. <laughs> I've heard I've heard mixed things from friends. So some friends have actually really quite enjoyed dating during lockdowns because they're like, well, you can just have a Zoom call if it's going really badly. Like you don't have to like get home. You know, you're just sort of done with it. Um, which I can I can see the attraction. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just like can just even just leave the meeting. <laughs> yeah, if it's anything. that bad, you know, if they start <laughs> yeah. playing bigotry bingo, you can just be like, right, end call. Uh, <laughs> and it feels less awkward than just standing up yeah. and walking slowly yeah. out of the yeah. coffee shop or um, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it is like, it's tricky. And then, I mean, you know, we're talking about sort of bravery, but then you've got all the sort of stuff that comes from just being like, being a woman in this world so things like you know you don't necessarily want to call out someone for bad behavior if you then don't feel 100 percent safe about the whole then leaving and getting home and you know all of that stuff and yeah it can be exhausting (laughs) yeah yeah there was a period that i've dated like again obsessively almost i had i just tell people yes let's meet and i have like several dates a week and it was very interesting because i got to know how people work yeah yeah, the worst of humanity maybe but yeah super interesting Mm. see i like i'm almost envious that you could like bring yourself to do that because to me i think like i think like i don't think i ever managed like more than a like a date a week with like different people i just like yeah. almost needed time to like process like and recover but but maybe the secrets in not like even you know get like just not giving yourself the time to process yeah are you good at saying okay no this isn't working out i'm like removing that bit of maybe fear for calling someone out and then having to get home yeah um, i are you good at just I, like then texting when you get home yeah, and saying I, yes i don't want to see you again like, i'm not i'm not a ghoster i'll say that but <laughs> i have i have never actually said something's not working in person i always wait for like afterwards um i partly partly it's sort of a real sort of i guess I don't want to sort of distinguish between real and sort of fake fears, but I guess part of it is the fear of it escalating. Part of it is just the social anxiety of difficult conversations. Like, I am not good with conflict. But then it's also, I mean, there's then the part of me that's maybe a bit too nice that almost is like, maybe when I've like thought about this, it won't be as bad as it feels right now. That's why you ended up on a second date with that yeah, guy. Yeah, that, that is very true. Um, although I think he, he was probably just on his best behaviour on the first day. <laughs> but I don't know, like, even though sort of my last relationship didn't work out, I think weirdly sort of going forward, I will trust my instincts more. Because, you know, like, 
sort of my first few dates with my ex there was none of that you know it was just easy and there weren't any moments where I felt like I needed to call him out or when I was afraid of conflict I mean in fact I probably did call him out once or twice but you know it didn't feel like a call out because it just was a discussion (laughs) um he probably called me out for things like yeah yeah this is like again almost a rhetorical question (laughs) (laughs) uh do you feel like it's impossible to meet people in real life and that's why we need to <laughs> recur to online dating apps. I mean, apps. I, like, th- this is sort of like, you know, real sort of, per- like, honest time. Like, I had my first, like, relationship when I was 29. So, you know, I just, and I would say for most, you know, especially sort of late to 20s, I've been quite a sociable person. I've been out there meeting people. I've got a really, I've got a bigger, fr- you know, friendship group than most. And yet, yeah, never really met anyone. Um... I'm even, you know, I'm a girl who's asked guys out as well, you know, that like, especially when I was younger, I was like, well, if I like someone, I'm going to tell them like, you know, what's the point of, and yeah, just never, ever went anywhere. So I feel like at least with online dating, there's the benefit that, you know, everyone is, is looking for, you know, dating, relationship, whatever, but like, you know, you're vaguely on the same page, um, which helps, but I think at the same time, though, I think because of the rise in online dating, other forms of meeting people have disappeared. So, you know, I feel like when I speak to people who are even, I don't know, like 10 years older than me, sort of friends setting friends up was more of a thing. Yeah. Whereas that's just like, I mean, you know, for my age, group, I don't really hear about that at all. Yeah. yeah so I guess it, it's chicken and egg, isn't it? It's like we do online dating because maybe other things aren't working but then other things stop happening because of online dating yeah. i hear some people sometimes talk about going to bars mm. and i'm just going to a bar by myself because i'm i'll meet someone there that's for me sounds like the the most uh, yeah the only one of the things that i wouldn't do i wouldn't go to a bar by myself yeah, no. be there I... with like some soda water and, hmm. oh god i sh- i like I feel like like I'll go to like events by myself. I've definitely like I've made I've made friends by just showing up to you know an event by myself, but never like you know met anyone in a more sort of romantic context. Um, but yeah, the thought of just sort of sitting in a bar by myself, I'm just like I mean one like it just sounds a bit boring. Like I'm like what am I going to do? Sit and read a book until someone like comes up to me? Um, yeah. <laughs> But I mean that that's something that I don't really have any inclination to do myself but definitely see as brave when other people do it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. It it is boring because <laughs> you don't have anything to do. And I'm just I just remembered uh when I was first in the UK doing Erasmus in back in 2010 I was sitting in a park reading a book mm-hmm. and someone came up to me and like tried to engage in conversation and and for me that was just creepy so yeah i don't know what would happen if i was reading a book in a <laughs> in a bar and someone would come up to me hey <laughs> and i even tried to to talk about a book i was reading but it was still like i don't know yeah <laughs> it, it's a strange one because that you know there's a part of me maybe the part of me that's like the romantic that thinks you know it would be nice if like when you're reading a book out and about someone comes up to you and talks to you about it but the simple fact is so many people approach you in 
a creepy way when you're mm-hmm. out in the world existing that it's just I think I cons- I very much have cultivated like a resting bitch face <laughs> you know, if I'm yes. sat on the tube reading I'm very much giving out the vibes do not touch me do not bother me which I know some people will like say is sad but I think that is just how the world is <laughs> yeah I do sometimes try to like think uh, about no I'm not I, I don't need to be like this uh, person that looks unfriendly yeah, all the time yeah. because maybe sometimes uh, maybe maybe I'll meet someone if I just yeah, smile yeah. more but then at the same time it avoids so much hassle and it, it's the real fear of escalation as well like I think most of the times that I have had like racist abuse thrown at me it's because I've like ignored someone's cat call or you know like someone's mm-hmm. got like you know smile or like you know hey whatever and I've sort of ignored them and then suddenly I get you know the p word thrown at me like it's sort of well clearly you weren't actually interested at all yeah <laughs> just, yeah it does feel like it's more of a power trip like I can talk to you like, yeah yeah is there someone real or fictional from your own life or just someone famous that you would use as an example of bravery I at the risk of sounding cliched, like I very much like, I think my mum is like super brave. You know, she sort of she moved to she moved to the UK like in her early twenties from Singapore without knowing anyone. You know, had quite a young baby to look after, like, and has just I just find like I I feel like I won't go into too many other details because I'd be sharing sort of things that aren't mine to share, but. I just think she's lived a phenomenal life and she's incredibly brave, incredibly strong, but also very sort of kind, loving, generous with it, you know, and I think that is amazing. And and something that I think is true of a lot of the other women in her family as well, you know, women who've had very sort of hard lives. Like my gra- my grandma sort of raised, you know, seven kids with, with very little and she's, you know, she's still alive. She's 86 or 87 now and going strong and one of the, mm-hmm. when she wants to be, one of the scariest women I know. <laughs> and I think, yeah, like I think this, I do feel like I've come from this line of sort of brave, strong women, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, has been really nice to grow up around. Do you feel like that inspires you to be to be the same kind of brave or to all to always like push because i don't know if we consciously are brave but to always push against your fears i i think it gives me a confidence that i will cope i think if that makes sense like maybe less to sort of go out of my way to be brave but when things happen there's always this voice inside of me you know sort of saying you know think about what my mum, my grandma, my aunts have sort of, you know, been through and the sort of people that they've become and to know that I will, like, I will get through this, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that's been very true of, like, I, I, I feel like if I went back and told myself at the be- the very beginning of the first lockdown, like, what the following year was going to bring for me, I probably would have just, like, sat down and cried. Um, But equally, you know, with each thing that happened, whether it was sort of, you know, dealing with sort of cancelled work or um, long distance, then breaking up, um, or getting COVID, like, each step of the way, I just feel like I had this sort of strength to hold on to, um, Mm -hmm. which really does help a lot. Yeah. I'm also thinking, I don't know, because it may also be that you have the knowledge of the past things that happened throughout the year that might maybe like 
weighing on you. But if you had gone to like yourself a year ago and said, all of these things will happen. It's like, oh, no. I mean, it's even, to be honest, like, I mean, I say that I had that quiet strength inside of me. And I think it it was true, but it wasn't. Even that sense of strength wasn't a constant. You know, there are times over the last year that I look back to now and I think I'm incredibly proud of the strength and resolve that I showed and how I got through things. But, you know, I definitely, there have been equally days in the last year where I've just like sat blubbering to, you know, my mum or a friend on the phone just being like, I'm so pathetic. Why can't I cope with life? You know, I'm never going to like feel okay again. And... So I think that also ties in with what we're saying about how our perceptions of bravery like can change yeah. over time. Sometimes in the moment, you don't feel brave, but you look back and you're like, ah, I, I did good, actually. Yeah. yeah. Which also like comes to, to prove, if we are trying to prove anything, <laughs> it comes to prove that you, you, you can like overcome, and that's a huge word, but you can overcome even if you feel like shit before you actually do yeah, manage to. Yeah, um, and I think another aspect of it is also, I, don't, I feel like bravery and strength are almost two sides of the same, like they go together, mm-hmm. it feels very closely, but I feel like there's a lot of things, like like crying, especially, you know, like really sort of ugly crying, um, for want of a better word, you know, things like ranting, getting angry, leaning on other people that historically have often been you know perceived as very feminine and they're and often not strong they're you know they're weak they're they show that you're not coping mm-hmm. and yet you know I look back I'm like no like those are the ways that I stay strong that's the way I cope yeah. you know I mean we know scientifically that crying literally makes you feel better it you know it releases the happy things um so why is it that we perceive crying as a sign of weakness rather than just a natural yeah. human thing? And it does like map you out to not cry. Uh, I was brought up to like be strong and whatever. So I, for me, crying is so, so hard mm. because I'm sh- showing a sign of weakness, which I know is not true. But then like remapping your brain yeah. to I, th- I think it's a really hard, yeah, hard. It's really yeah. hard to remap. Like I... I feel like I've, I have grown up crying and I like, it's not something I ever felt like, yeah, it's something I've always done when I need to and feel like I need to, but equally for a long time, I'd then beat myself up for it. You know, I'd Mm -hmm. use that to say that I was, you know, pathetic, weak, all of those sort of things. Whereas now I, yeah, I do just see it as it's the way I cope. It's the way I move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, so this interesting thing about, you know, freelancing, working from home, like there have been days, this, like, you know, throughout the pandemic where I've pretty much, you know, screamed at myself in the mirror, got it all out and then sort of composed myself and come and run a two hour training session in front of my screen. And no one would ever know. <laughs> Um, same you know I've completely like cried my eyes out cleaned myself up and got on with like hosting a comedy gig Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah it's like I think me from five years ago would be like you know you utter mess and me now is like actually I think that's a sign of strength like being able to do that Um, and I'll just do it and get it out of the way so I can keep keep on going yeah Yeah. Um, and like I feel like I do have to say like of course, there are times when I can't do that and there are times when others can't do that. And that's not to say we should always be able to just pull ourselves together and get on with it. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah for me personally i think it does and and i find like each time i do it i then it's again that thing of inner strength well no matter how bad i feel like i will be able to sort of get back to feeling a bit more like myself eventually yeah also like with the ranting there are studies that say and is i don't know if it's uh, ranting but i feel like it is <laughs> that if you swearing makes you mm. able to feel more pain yeah and yeah, keep going yeah um yeah yeah i've seen that so um let people swear <laughs> i've also seen like you know a, like talking to yourself apparently can be a really healthy coping mechanism although again it's one of those things that's often looked down on or you know considered a sign of like mental illness when actually the studies show that you know talking to yourself talking out loud can really help you mentally yeah, yeah. I just made a, a thesis thesis in my head that probably has no no real uh, it's it's not true but uh, people also say that if you talk to plants they they are happier right yes. they they I, thrive. I think that's and now been I'm debunked. thinking okay because <laughs> I was like saying maybe maybe what you're doing is you're talking to yourself so you're more able to water your plants when they need them because you're more <laughs> yeah this saying i'm saying this because i'm looking at two dying cactuses oh i'm very bad with plants <laughs> i'm trying to get better with my plants um like m my mum has such a green thumb i'm trying to like slowly absorb all her secrets <laughs> is there anything that you're dying to say about bravery that i haven't asked you about Ooh, i'm trying to think i don't think so I mean, I like. I feel like we've touched on this already, but just a reminder that you know, dealing with illness isn't brave in inherently in itself. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> I think you sometimes need to be brave, like to um, you have your brave moments, but generally it isn't a brave thing. It's just a thing. But no, I feel like we've talked about quite a lot of different things. Um, I guess also, yeah, just like, you know, bravery is going to be different for different people at different times yeah. in your life. I think it's a very, very fluid concept. Going back, just because you brought it yeah. up again, going back to the illness yeah. thing. Do you feel like when people do say things like that, you're so brave for... I don't know. I don't know if they say you're so brave for being ill because that's like <laughs> even the structure of that sentence. Is, I mean, it's it's uh, normally phrased more as crazy. like you're so brave for like getting on with it or for for coping yeah. or for living with it. Yeah. Do you feel like that in itself is I don't know in any way offensive or? I, I feel like it's a bit ableist because I mean, on one hand, there is that weird implication that because I I do feel like in some ways bravery involves involves choice right like you know if it's just something yeah. you've just got to deal with like are you really choosing to be brave so i think that, like the implication of choice is a bit weird the othering is a bit weird you know it's like oh you're such a brave soul and you know you're different you know you're going through a struggle that i'm not um but then also i think it's tied up in all sorts of weird things like this i you know and there's, I think there's like a proper academic term, but I can't remember. But this idea that people, you know, should sort of suffer quietly, that, you know, mm. often you're called brave because you haven't talked about how bad things are. But this person suddenly, you know, realized that you wake up in pain every day or something like that. And that, again, sort of ties back to what we we're saying about, you know, then if people sort of are ranting, complaining, crying, you know, not sort of being seen to sort of deal 
quietly with something that are they less brave or less strong no you know so i think it's it's very it all feels very tied up in our perceptions of what coping is and you know what strength is and it all feels just a bit icky for me yeah that's that's why because when you said it i i felt that it was icky so yeah um, um, why, why is it but yeah And I mean, you know, again, like, obviously, I cannot speak for all chronically ill people. But for me, you know, the things that do feel like they take some bravery are things like navigating our healthcare system, you know, ringing up and dealing with GP receptionists who seem to never want to help you. Hashtag not all GP receptionists. Um, But yeah, you know, those are the things that feels like it does take some bravery, some strength, not just the coping with my own body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those things like the calling the GP uh, receptionist are in a, in many other uh, disabilities. Just making use of the city that is not built, having yeah, yeah. Th- those people yeah, in mind. Yeah. That is, yeah. Mm. You know, I feel like asking for accommodations can feel brave. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I feel like I, I can. I mean, my I, my concept of what accommodations are or might be for me has changed a lot throughout lockdown, actually, because apart from actually getting COVID, I feel like I've been healthier than I've ever been in my life. But apart from that, I feel like even asking for things that feel like minor accommodations, like, sorry, but please, can you take your dog out of the room because I'm probably going to have an asthma attack? That Again, this sort of relates to the sort of fear of confrontation that I have. But those sort of things can feel like they require bravery but I guess even talk like to then have someone else call you brave for even those sort of navigating illness also feels a bit icky because it's like well that sort of stuff shouldn't be necessary you know you shouldn't have to feel scared about asking for accommodations you shouldn't have to you know sort of you know sort of what's the word sort of you know gather your strength to ring the gp like these shouldn't be the difficult parts of being ill um but yet they often are the hardest parts um of yeah yeah that was like also like what i was thinking and although like you can't tell people what they how they should act and i guess uh, everyone is learning how to deal with the world and blah 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 but the idea that if you do see something like that happen and you realize that there are accommodations that need to happen Mm. that you are not aware of Mm. because you don't need those accommodations Mm. it's maybe more on you to try and help than to tell people hey you're being really brave because you're asking for this yeah I I think you know we I think this is especially you know I mean we both work in event production right like that's often Mm. often we are in a position of you know limited power but we are in power to change things um You know, and I think that just constantly trying to consider venues, events, the world in general, like through sort of different experiences, I think is really important. And I think just, you know, a bit of empathy can go a long way. I mean, you often hear of people who, I don't know, are are pushing a pram for a first time or even just pulling a heavy suitcase around a town or city and that's the point that they realize that you know the dropped curves don't exist that the bushes are growing into the pavement that cars are parked everywhere and I don't know part of me feels like come on like surely we can I mean it's great that people have those realizations but surely we can walk around and be 
a bit more aware even normally you know about yeah. the way that the world is set up and how that doesn't work for everyone and I, I mean i do have i do have my hopes although i'm also a bit cynical that you know all the adaptations that have been possible over the last year because of the pandemic yeah. that e- my cynicism comes in that i don't think it's going to be an easy road i think a lot mm-hmm. of things are going to be taken away they're going to be rolled back but i think at least now that we know what's possible I think it will be, at least we'll know what we can. I don't know. I hope that the fight might be a bit easier, but I still think it's going to yeah. be a fight. I, I'm i under yeah. no illusions that it's going to be easy. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep, in the places I work, I keep saying we should keep on having online events. Uh, we can have them live, but keep streaming them because... Yeah. Yeah. We're now aware of the number of people who have come to our events yeah. at Golden before. Yeah. But we are at the end of the podcast. And I don't know if this is a, a message of hope or not, <laughs> but I hope it is. <laughs> and the last thing, the last, last thing I will ask you is if you have any plugs. Oh, yes. Anything you want so, to promote. Um, as mentioned, so I co-host Why Aren't You a Doctor Yet? Um, which I would definitely recommend people listen to. I would say that actually there's probably episodes there where we've taken quite a brave approach to sort of talking about science and technology and social issues in a different way. And, you know, all being quite vulnerable um, about our own experiences. So I think there's some bravery in that. Mm-hmm. I am on Twitter um, at Hannah Ayub, which is H-A-N-A-A-Y-O-O-B. Um, I am on Instagram at Hannah.Ayub. And you can also find my shop on Etsy by searching for Curious Octopus. Thank you so much for being a guest at my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me at, at @marianisbeats on Twitter and Instagram for all dowdy updates. As all podcasts will tell you, all rates and reviews will be super welcome. And do share the podcast with your friends or on your socials. Hashtag DowdyPod. I would also like to know your pics of people who, to you, are examples of bravery. Share them on your reviews or tweet them at me. Huge, huge thank you to Champagne for the podcast jingle and a bunch of other things that are in podcast related. If you've enjoyed listening to Dowdy, have some spare to give, and would like to support me and help me improve on my tech and skills, all tips are welcome through PayPal and Coffee on at Mariana's Beats. I've been Mariana Feijó. Until next week.